News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. Joining us on today's show, Sunlum CEO Paul Hanratty, Banking and Financial Services Analyst Koki Koyman of Denker Capital, Harry Smith of the Ascendus Health Activist Lobby Group, and in the second half of the show, we pick up with Dan Hauser, community leader in Kanyiso Ntombeni, and Banani Ndlovu, director of the Australia-listed South African small cap Equesi, which mines in KwaZulu-Natal and has sparked an outcry among environmentalists. First, the business news highlights with my business colleague, Melanie Nathan. Sunlam says investment business was the key driver of volume growth for the year ended in December. New business volumes reached record levels. However, earnings from financial services and operational earnings dropped. Headline earnings per share increased while the company declared a dividend of 10% less than the prior year. The insurer says South Africa may still be short of the halfway mark of the pandemic even after two waves of the virus. We are basically planning for two and a half more waves, said CEO Paul Hanratty. He added that the company is very realistic about South Africa's vaccine program and that it's not going to significantly impact the current year. Standard Bank saw a 51% decline in profit after tax for the year ended in December. Africa's largest bank expects any economic recovery from COVID-19 pandemic in Africa to be delayed until late this year, or even 2022. The bank declared a dividend of 240. Famous Brands says the financial impact of COVID-19 pandemic and national lockdowns with trading restrictions has been severe. Sales dropped across all restaurant categories for the year ended in February. The company says its supply chain divisions were particularly hard hit, while the retail division traded throughout the lockdown in South Africa and reported 151 million rand in sales. After large insurers were taken to court for refusing to pay business interruption claims related to COVID-19, they have agreed to settle these claims and begun making payments to devastated businesses. Despite the approach taken by its holding company, Hollard International, the Namibian subsidiary is not only refusing to recognize the claims of tourism and hospitality policyholders, but it is aggressively disputing them, says Insurance Claims Africa, which represents over 900 clients in the sector against large insurers. Tourism is a critical sector in the Namibian economy, contributing 15% to the country's GDP. I'm Melanie Nathan, and that was your Biz News Flash Briefing. Justin Rowe Roberts covers the financial markets for business throughout the day. Justin, take us through the main developments on the JSE today. The JSE All Share Index increased slightly to 68,800. MTN was the biggest climb on the day, increasing 12% to 83 Rand a share. MTN was also the most traded share on the JSE. Naspers and Process was up strongly on the back of their proxy, Tencent, being up in Hong Kong this morning. Naspers and Process will put you back 3,630 Rand and 1,820 Rand a share, respectively. Anglo Platinum was the biggest large cap loser on the day, down 90 Rand to 2,070 Rand a share. SAPI continues, continues its surge, with the share now trading over 50 Rand for the first time since July 2019. The Rand continues to increase strongly against all the major currencies. It's at 14 Rand 95 cents against the greenback, 20 Rand and 87 cents against the pound, and 17 Rand and 85 cents against the euro. Gold is in the green at $1,724 an ounce. Bitcoin is flat at 850,000 Rand a Bitcoin. And lastly, Brent crude is slightly down to $67 a barrel. Charles Boerter, one of my business colleagues with the CFA designation, is with us now to discuss Standard Bank's intrinsic value. Charles, take us through the findings of your analysis. Jackie, by way of explanation, I want to yeah, uh, discuss the concept of a margin of safety, which we'll return to many times in shows to come. So Warren Buffett uh, considers the margin of safety to be the three most important words in investing. And the margin of safety, you make a distinction between price and intrinsic value. 
So price is what you'll see in the stock market. So for example, Standard Bank releasing the results, Standard Bank share price today is 142 Rand. Intrinsic value is using fundamentals, accounting, statistics, economics to work out a price that may or may not be equal to the market price. But the intrinsic value is the price analysts and sophisticated investors use to make investment decisions. And what is the intrinsic value of Standard Bank, So, so we think uh, the intrinsic value of Standard Bank at the moment is 165 Rand and the share price is 142. So, which means that, yeah, we think Standard Bank is below its intrinsic value, but it's not far enough below it. So at the moment, it's trading about 16% discount to our intrinsic value. And we, we consider 20% plus to be acceptable. That was Charles Boerter, one of my business colleagues with the CFA designation, explaining what intrinsic value is about. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour with Jackie Cameron. Sunlum CEO Paul Hanratty is on the line now to pick up on the group's results. Paul, new volume, business volumes up in a year that you've described as possibly the worst in Sunlum's 20 years as a listed entity. How did you manage to grow business, business volumes? Jackie, thanks a lot. Nice to chat to you. Look, I think one's got to be clear here that it was our investment business that um, had a spectacular year, both in South Africa and then also across the continent with institutional mandates. So remember, this is really about the stock of money uh, moving rather than um, you know new flows being generated in the economy. The the rest of our business, our general insurance business, right across the continent. You know, was was it's a very defensive industry, so that was uh, you know pretty steady. But our life new business, um, you know, we had uh, took a lot of strain during the year, and you can see that the value of our new business, which is the life only business, was down by sixteen percent. So, really, it's about winning some very big institutional mandates uh, across the continent. Why was your life business down? Do you think? Well, pretty much the same reason as everybody else. Really, two factors. One. With all the various uh, lockdown restrictions across the continent, it makes it very difficult for all of your face-to-face, whether they're your advisors or brokers, to see clients. So that was a, a huge impact. And then the second thing is you know, people's uh, disposable incomes and so on were affected. But we saw that, that um, you know, as we put, all put digital enablement in, so you know, life sales uh, you know, recovered towards the end of the year. So, Paul, last week we spoke to Discovery Life CEO Rian van Rien, and, and he said that uh, life uh, business was up because people were more conscious of their mortality. Why do you think Discovery's managed to boost that aspect of its business and Sunlum has not? Well, um, I'm not quite sure uh, what you're referring to, but our, our results uh, in terms of premiums for life business were better than his. So um, I can only assume that we're talking slightly at cross purposes here. I think what is true is that we do see, um, you know, strong demand in this product category um, because people really do appreciate the importance and the value of it. But the fact is that for a large chunk of 2020, um, you know, sales were heavily impacted by the fact that advisors simply couldn't see customers. You mentioned African Rainbow Life, and this has been covered by some of the financial media. It was started about two years ago, and you've decided to change your strategy with African Rainbow Life. Can you just elaborate on that and why that business didn't work the way you had planned it would work? Yeah, look, that business um, intended to set – well, it did set up a model using salaried advisors that uh, work uh, work sites, and – so it's a it's a very overhead heavy uh, business, and w- once we found ourselves in the COVID environment, here you've got a business that's new and young, plus it's actually a a, a very overhead uh, heavy business. So we figured that this probably wasn't the most judicious uh, use of our capital and our resources, and so it's not that we've uh, closed that business in any way. We've uh, we've kept the the customers, and uh, we've moved them onto one of our other licenses, which also has a a synergy benefit for us both in terms of capital and in terms of ongoing cost. But really that business model, you know, 
if, if things, you know, really turned around and boom, maybe we'd look back and, and, and think that we'd done the wrong thing. But we do believe that we've got plenty of other initiatives and distribution models which we think are more effective into the future in the space. And if you just take our Capitec JV, for example, you know, that's a very effective distribution model in, in reaching a large part of this market. Why is that? Is Capitec a better partner than an African Rainbow Life? Why did the Capitec one do so much better than the African Rainbow Life project? Well, well, I've, um, we've got um, in Capitec a very large um, installed customer base and a very large face-to-face distribution and branch network. And we know that in this market, that's a very effective form of distribution. The, the African Rainbow Life business had a completely different model, and it's a very good model, but a very expensive model. And as I said, you know, very overhead heavy, whereas the Capitec um, JV is, um, you know, you've got actually only marginal cost of distribution. There's no fixed cost because the branch infrastructure is already laid there. And, Paul, you've been speaking a lot about a second and possibly a third wave of COVID-19. What is the range of deaths you're expecting this year? The official death toll so far is just over 51,000, and Discovery says a third wave could contribute 95,000 deaths. What statistics are giving you uh, playing into your projections? Yeah, so, look, we're not getting into making public forecasts on how many deaths there are going to be in the country. What we've done is what the only thing we can really do is to look and understand our own customer base. We think that uh, in the current year we'll see two to three times the excess deaths that we saw last year. Um, So there's no question that as we see further waves coming through this year, we do expect it to be very tough. And and even the uh, January and February experience has, um, you know, sort of suggested that that's not unrealistic. Sunlum owns Suntum, which has been in the media for refusing to pay up for business interruption insurance. How has that whole saga played into your financial results? Well, Suntum made a provision of 3 billion rand. Uh, It didn't declare a dividend. And, of course, um, its earnings were well down as a result of that. So it's impacted our uh, net financial result very heavily, and it's also impacted the cash. Uh, coming up to the group that we would have used to pay dividends. I see in your presentation you mentioned that um, you have leave to appeal 18 months. Sorry? Sorry, I'm I'm afraid I have to cut you off, Jackie, because um, we came in a little late and I've got another another interview. Okay, just before you go, can we just get a sense from you on how you feel about the whole Suntum issue with your small clients? With hindsight, do you think it was a good idea to fight with the little guys over business interruption cover? Um, actually, we provided a relief payment uh, of a billion rand. I think I'm right in saying that we were the first company in the planet to make such a payment, and that's largely settled the entire obligation to the smaller clients. That's over 2,000 out of the 4,000 clients who had such cover. And are you? how are you going to take this forward? Uh, we we're actually have announced already and are in the process of settling claims with our uh, our customers. There's one remaining issue, which is the issue of the indemnity period. And um, some clients have a longer indemnity period in their minds than uh, we believe the contract says. So those you know those matters will take some time still to resolve from a legal point of view. But we're settling all claims at this point, and we're certainly happy to settle up to what we believe is the policy condition in three months. That was Paul Hanratty, CEO of Sunlam, speaking to us about his company results. Joining us now is Koki Koiman, fund manager at Denker Capital. He is one of the world's top analysts on banking stocks. Hello, Koki. Hello, Jackie. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> Koki, what did you make of Sunlum's results today? Look, um, it, it, it was an incredibly tough environment, and uh, I worked through their presentation, and I must say it's a, it's a very, very good presentation with a lot of details, and you can see the strength of the company. So operationally, they did hell of a well under the circumstances. Uh, if you think long down operation, you think economic growth volatility, 
you think interest rate volatility, currency volatility, um, market volatility. So operationally did well. In fact, they, they grew business volumes. Um, but, but the knock, and I think it was bigger than the market expected, the knock came in the embedded value, um, which decreased, and the return on embedded value uh, was negative. And, and that's a bit technical, but essentially what life companies do is they look forward uh, in terms of what they call persistency assumptions. And because looking forward, they have changed that, they've lowered the growth and the environmental outlook, they had to take a knock to uh, to forward earnings, and that had a big impact. So I think that was the, the disappointment um, on the result. Um, but for the rest, it actually was a very good result. Uh, I think Africa came through well, um, and India, I know, is, is turning as well from our own investments there. I, I, I actually, we also invested in some of the companies that Sunlam is invested in. So I think operationally good result, but the circumstances stuff and the return on embedded value being so negative maybe caught the market a bit by surprise. And I see in the presentation they mentioned a new remuneration model to retain important staff. Uh, can you help us make sense of that remuneration model? Is this is it, are they are they helping themselves or are they uh, punishing themselves for a tough year? Uh, as that's always a very difficult topic um, for CEOs to answer. No, I, I look, I, I haven't. I actually didn't see that, but I, I, I know from. Well, I'm on the side of the group now, but I was 14 years inside the group. Um, Sunlam is a very meritocratically, if I get that right, uh, driven business. It's so, a bit of a tongue twister, but we know what you mean. It's a tongue twister. But, but in, in essence, uh, the whole thing is about retention of good people, but they get rewarded only if they do well. Um, so with the share price being low, most probably they awarded more share issues to lock in people who are now suffering uh, for uh, well, suffering relatively uh, for the next five years. Now, first round, I've had the same uh, attempt and obviously the market there didn't like it. So it will be interesting what the market says about Sunlum. But look, if you want top talent, and I know the salaries seem and are very high, but what we forget is that people, these people can get better jobs, higher paid jobs offshore, and you want to make, she, make sure that you keep people here. So I think that, that goes across corporate South Africa. How we deal with it is another question. It's, it's, it's a very tough one. And then just as an insider, Sunlam, former Sunlam insider, it's quite interesting Sunlam's link with African Rainbow. Uh, we see a lot of Sunlam old boys at African Rainbow and sort of lots of tie-ups in business deals with African Rainbow. What do you make of that? Do you think they're a little bit too cosy or, or is this a good idea? Yeah, look, when, when, when Ian Kirk was CEO, I kept saying to him, Ian, yes, just make sure that – you guys really do all your homework. You really make sure that what everything you do is very transparent. Uh, but the objective is obviously to comply with BE regulations on the asset management side, and um, and you know to be able to gain more better volumes on the asset management side, and and that's really why the whole transaction was done, um, and. In time, we will see if if that was a good transaction or not. Um, having said that, if you go and look at, I think it's a second or third slide, and I was actually quite interested in, in the executive now, it has actually transformed. Some of them have transformed themselves into a lot of the top executives are now of color. And, and unfortunately, in BE terms these days, it must be black. And, and they've done that. And they are good, really capable guys. I, I know them. So... Um, but this was specifically done uh, to help on the asset management side. And it, it, from the outside, it seems cozy. And I think there's real pressure on them to make sure that you know, at, at board meetings where decisions are made, that people recuse themselves when decisions are made. And Cocky's Suntum, Sunlum subsidiary, has been in the news over the past year and has really fought a vicious battle against its small clients. 
And we heard briefly from Paul Hanratty. He had to go before we could finish the conversation about Suntum's claims, unfortunately. How damaging was this for Sun Lum and Suntum, do you think? Or is this um, a memory short? No, it's, 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 it's big. I mean, the, the absolute amounts that Suntum set aside is big. Um, and, you know, we are invested ourselves in quite a few uh, PNC insurers in the U.S., um, and so we followed the debate closely, both in the U.S., U.K., and, and you know, gave what, what we heard to Lizay as well, and, and they were grappling with it. And the problem is legally, Santam was on the – and technically in terms of the wording, it seemed as if they were in the right. But, you know, something like this, we've never had a, a, a pandemic like this. And so they grappled with it. But it, it, it was big, both. You could see it on the Sunlum side as well, the, the losses uh, from um, from the pandemic. And, in fact, with all the insurers, all the insurers reported earnings down you know, uh, 30 to 60% because of provisions uh, more on the life side, but on the PNC side of business interruption. And so what it has led to is that obviously contracts are all being rewritten now um, to better describe risk and what clients must pay. So sometimes we'll say clients didn't pay for a business interruption of this length. That was not an in- the insured event. But the clients say, well, that's your problem. I can't help if the wording was vague. We want to be paid. And so that's... But it, it, it's quite big in, in Suntum's life. You saw it in Standard Bank's result as well, where Liberty's big knock came from, you know, the extra 2.2 billion provision they had to make. But, you know, this should be in the past. And, and I think that's what the markets are doing both here and overseas is saying this is a once off. Uh, firstly, you know, the insurers have come through, most of them have come through it strongly with capital levels intact. That's very important. So they can write business again. And, and they are writing business. So I, th- I think the insurance industry has come through you know, this once in a, well, it's, it's a first ever pandemic uh, of this size very well. Would you be investing in Sunlum right now? Do you have it in your portfolios? We do. We do. In the, the NetBank Financials Fund, we, we manage, we do. And the problem with, with Sunlum, it's a bit like First Run, it's a bit like Capitec. These and sometimes as well, these companies are very expensive. Um, but where South Africa is now is we are still in such a volatile environment. You want to stay with managements who have a proven track record, have, have quality, have reserves, are well capitalized. Um, so what you will see, I think, is if South Africa, something was to happen, a several waves the magic wand and we go back to three, four, five percent growth in a different environment, lower risk environment, then investors would switch Sunlum to to other insurers. But at the moment the risk uh, of the environment just makes us keep our Sunlums and the same for first rand Capitex. What about discovery? <laughs> Jackie you're asking all the Pinpoint laser questions. Discovery is is a great business, but uh, we've actually stayed. We sold Discovery at the beginning of 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 the downturn because it's a it's a fact that's argued about a lot. But most analysts and ourselves feel that the actuarial assumptions are quite aggressive. Um, they obviously say they are not. Um, but so in a in a in a tough environment where you get unexpected events, um, if a business has made assumptions that are a bit too aggressive, you know then you can be found out, and that was just a risk for us. Uh, plus, at the same time, where Discovery is really spending a lot of money uh, on on the bank uh, on on other areas, so they uh, building a business for the future, and it seems to be going well after problems. So Discovery, we've been actually investing through RMI, where you get outsurance at the same time. You get what Herman Vosman there is doing with Hastings uh, in, a, in a joint venture also with Sampo. So um, Discovery, great, but the environment was just very, very um, more higher risk for them. And by the way, you could see that in Sunlum and First Rand, 
both those businesses, if you compare their earnings to the other, to their peers, the downdraft was less because they are just better reserved. And, uh, and, and that's why one tends to stick to quality in an environment like this. Thanks for those insights on Sunlam Koki. Can we just briefly have a look at Standard Bank before we let you go? I see some analysts think it is a bit pricey right now. What was your view on their results? Oh, I, funny enough, I think it's actually quite good value now. <laughs> um, no, the result was actually also fairly good um, in the environment. You know, the personal and business banking is down 61%. Um, but but the loan growth was actually fairly good. Uh, so Standard Bank's loan growth is actually better than First Rand. Now, First Rand say they were more conservative. They don't want to grant credit excessively. But uh, Standard Bank's loan growth was good. The cost containment, very good at, at 1% growth. Um, and uh, Africa has come through as well where loan growth was good. Um, but the investment bank, obviously, bank, investment banking took a it knock, as you would expect in these circumstances, and Liberty took the big knock. So um, Standard Bank priced the book of 1.3 for the ROE it could generate should be trading at 1.8. Yeah. Cook, cookie and looks like I lost you. Cookie, uh, just uh, what do you? What's your estimate of the intrinsic value of Standard Bank? Cookie, um, I, looks like I do apologise. It looks like we've uh, lost Cookie Coyman there for the moment. Um, we uh, would now, however, uh, go on to. A discussion on Bitcoin, and I'm uh, just um, apologies that uh, that that we seem to have mm, had uh, a little bit of a problem here as far as the technology is concerned. But let's pick up with the an interview that Jackie did earlier today on Bitcoin. Do you think that any tone around the U.S. government cracking down on crypto could to, could be a catalyst for the stock? on, on no. the downside. Clarity around the rules can only help the space. And so, you know, Jay Powell uh, just didn't want to deal with Bitcoin, period. Didn't want to deal with crypto. And so he just kept hunting it. Now we've got an SEC chairman that's going to deal with it head on. Not every project is going to love what he does. Uh, but broadly, a clear set of rules is nothing but bullish for the space. So let's talk about bullish. The CEO of Kraken, he said he thinks it's going to get to a million dollars within a decade. Do you still think it gets to 100000 before the end of the year? If so, when? And what do you think about a million dollars within 10? My brain's this big, not this big. And so I can think in one year, two year horizons, I think it gets to $100,000 or higher by the end of the year because I see all these new participants coming in. If it doesn't, it'll be there next year. I, I'm not so concerned. What's interesting to me is the downside has been taken away, right? It used to be people thought, oh, this is tulips. No one thinks that anymore. Right. That the existential threat of Bitcoin not being real is gone. Every institution in the world is participating. And so it's an asset class and we've repriced it. And so we're heading higher. I was talking to people, a bunch of you know, young kids about this because you've been in the space for so long. There's all this anxiety. The anxiety is going to come out of the market as people are starting to build. Yes, I think we're going to go higher. Once you get to 100,000, you're going to say, well, why aren't we at 200,000? And why aren't we at five? You know, 500,000 is about where gold is. So why shouldn't Bitcoin be as big as gold if it's the, if it's digital gold? So right? some of the best opportunities, Mike, are, are not even happening in the currency itself, right? You're seeing the firms that are betting on this really rise in private markets. You have a venture investing arm. How are you thinking about where to put your money next when it comes to the venture world in crypto? My favorite business, or I shouldn't say that I'm going to get yelled at by my employees. One of my favorite businesses at Galaxy is our venture biz. And we are investing in the interactive gaming space. You see this giant rise in NFTs that's happening. NFTs are basically using the same technology of Bitcoin, right? It's a, it's a di digital signature you can't counterfeit for art, for I IP, for anything creative. And so that's a little bit of a bubble right now, but it's going to be a huge trend. And so we're investing a lot there and we're investing in DeFi. You know, banks shouldn't be worried about Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is just another asset. They missed out by trading it and owning it. 
it's an asset like gold. They should be very, very worried about DeFi, right? DeFi are driverless banks, driverless exchanges, driverless insurance companies. It's a bank that's just code. And in the next two to 10 years, DeFi is really the threat to banks, threat to the financial institution. And so that's where we're putting our money. We're finding the best teams with the best ideas and we're funding them early. I want to talk a little bit about some of the pushback. This from Jeffrey Gunlock on Twitter today. The price of gold is down over 11 percent, down 11 percent over the last 12 months. The S&P 500 up 27 percent over the last 12 months. Bitcoin is up 467 percent over the last 12 months. Great dispersions often precede great reversions. And then this from Paul Singer last week in a letter to clients hiding under the bed to avoid people who gloat about being long Bitcoin can get tiring. Deep breathing exercises can work, but only for short periods. We continue to press on for the day when we can say we told you so. Mike, what's your response to that? You know, listen, Jeff Gunlock and Paul Singer are awesome investors. They don't get everything right. What they're missing is this secular change, this, this paradigm shift. They're not seeing what I'm seeing. They're not talking to every big bank in the world who's asking and help and we're helping on how they get engaged in this system. They're not talking to the mayor of uh, Miami who is actually setting up so his people can pay taxes in Bitcoin, they can get paid in Bitcoin. This is a movement that doesn't seem like it's going to stop anytime soon. And I think they're missing it. I just think they're missing it, right? Uh, oh. Listen, it's harder for old people to get it, right? I bet they didn't meet their wives on the internet. <laughs> Uh, yet 50% of young people are meeting their spouses on the internet, right, on dating apps. And so sometimes the old people just don't get it. So speaking of investors, you have Mark Cuban on the other end of the coin, and you've been really quite critical of, Doge, of Dogecoin, and now the Dallas Mavericks are going to be using it as payment. Do you think that's a good idea? Listen, I don't. I don't. I think... You know, Doge was a meme coin. It doesn't really have a purpose. It doesn't mean it, it won't, won't exist for a while. You know, I've made a lot of money being short Dogecoin, not long Dogecoin. You know, and I don't think it's got a community. What worries me about things like that is Cuban gets in. It's the new investors, the young investors. Uh, when I do uh, calls with the hip hop community, they're all talking about Doge. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, let's put people in the safest, best stuff not these joke coins. And so I think Mark's making a mistake there. He'd be better off with 15 other uh, different ways to pay for his tickets. Are there any altcoins, Mike, that you're excited about? Oh, I love I love, I love, love most of the DeFi coins. I love Luna coin. I love Aave, YFI, Compound, this whole suite of products that's going after the banks. Uniswap, a sushi swap. This is, this is really where the revolution is going to happen where if you're a bank CEO, you're going to start scratching your head pretty soon and say, what are these things again? And why are, why are they growing so fast? And so the way I think about it is Bitcoin is a macro asset. It should be looked at with gold and treasuries and crude. And then you have a bunch of protocols, right? Decentralized world compute, Ethereum, Polkadot, a mm -hmm. bunch of tokens that are going to be part of that platform. And then you have use cases. And it's those use cases to me that are the most interesting. Speaking of use cases, non-fungible tokens. In the near term, how do you see them being used uh, in new ways by new people? I think every single creative person on the planet is going to study these and try to figure out how their creativity can be preserved, right? I've talked to three young, amazing artists, and I said, guys, start learning to, to create art in the digital form. Great artists never used the digital form because it was too easy to copy. But now that it can live on a blockchain, that it can be authenticated, that it can be unique and scarce, we're going to see great artists migrate. And so right now we're in a bit of a bubble because it's everything is exciting in that space. But bubbles happen over things that change the way we, we live. IP, creativity on the blockchain, will be part of our lives for the next 150 years. And we're at the very beginning. And so that's why there's so much excitement. Harry Smith of Ascenders Health Activist Lobby Group joins us now on the line. Hi, Harry. Hi. Harry, Ascenders is trading on a cautionary, which means that there are developments underway that could have a material impact on the share price, good or bad. 
And in a nutshell, Ascendus has told its shareholders that it has up to the end of next month to strike a deal with its lenders. Harry, can you take us through the details of what's going on behind the scenes at Ascendus and why minority shareholders are so concerned? Harry, are you with us? I think we yes, I'm with you. Harry. Ah, you're with us. Hi, okay. Harry. Yes, yes. Harry, could you just tell us what's happening behind the scenes with the minority shareholders? All right, what we want to try and get out in the market there is there's a lot of details that have not been shared with the minority shareholders. And the mere fact that Alwyn Health and Blantyre stepped in doesn't mean that the minnows or the retail investors like us are just going to roll over and accept what they're saying. Harry, um, before we go, can we just take a step back? Can you just tell us who Blantyre yes. and Alwyn Health are so that people have the full sense of the story? For people who haven't, uh, who aren't steeped in the nuances of Ascendus but would like to know a bit more about what's happening behind the scenes here. All right, Blantyre and Alwyn is actually a very a clever group, if I can put it that way, and kudos to them for their business model and what they do, but they also are sharks to the sense because they come in as rescuers to good business practices that have a future but are in a problem at the moment, and then they try and grip them at a percentage of the price. Um, L1 Health is actually a subsidiary of Blantyre, and if we take what Mark Sardi said a little while, um, Ascendus Health is actually a good model just with a little bit of a debt problem. So we're sitting on a debt of about $7 billion. Uh, Blantyre has identified this as a potential because of the share price at the moment, uh, capitalization being only about $275. Um, we cannot refinance the $7 billion, so the debt can be called up. So Blantyre went behind the scenes and they bought 75% of the debt at probably a discount, which means they own... 75% of the debt that is payable to the banks by Ascenders Health. Which so just to clarify, the, the lenders are taking over the company by stealth, is that right? So what happened that here is, is what uh, Ascenders, so Ascenders couldn't pay off its 7 billion rand in debt fast enough, so Blantyre Capital and L1 Health decided to take ownership of the company and basically acquire very um, good assets. That's right. But, but the fact expense. of the matter is, yes, but Ascenders was in the position because they had Remedica and all other assets up for sale, and they had very good negotiations in that process, and they were about to strike deals, but behind the scenes, Blantyre and L1 went, and they bought the debt, the, the debt from um, Standard Chartered and all those people, so that basically they had a seat at the table to block anything that Mark Sardi and Ascenders Health Board tried to do to salvage the company. What a scandal. My colleague Justin Rowe Roberts covers Johannesburg Stock Exchange uh, shares for BizNews, and he has a couple of questions for you. Harry, I understand okay. that, um, that Ascenders has some good assets, such as Remedica um, and so on, but how did the company, how, how, what it brought upon upon its demise from 27 rand a share to just over trading at 50 cents a share today? Okay, basically you've got to understand the, the background and you almost got to go back as far as to the taking of Ascenders to the listing 2011 up to 2013 when Coast to Coast was sitting behind it. So Coast to Coast took it and Ascenders was a very good company and then in 2015 they went on a purchase spree to buy all the good health assets and other assets they could find out there. The, the way that they financed these options down in those days were you had to come up with two-thirds from your equity and then one-third or from your banks and then one-third they financed through a deferred payment, which is what most of your listed JSE companies and other companies would do. But where Blantyre and Coast to Coast comes into the story, Coast to Coast had another deal that they had with Bounty Branch, which includes diesel and those sort of things. So they financed through Blantyre their new ventures into Bounty Brands, and they took loans on the Ascender shares, which margins were put on, and they said as soon as the market cap of Ascenders is not the same anymore, then obviously we're going to call your shares and you've got a forfeit. And that's exactly what happened to Coast to Coast, and the share price fell for the first time. 
which is made it impossible for ascenders to refinance the debt that they were sitting with. And that's why I say, if I take it back, that's where Blantyre already started with this process of trying to hijack ascenders out. So just to give you an example, on Bounty Brands, um, when it um, went into problems, the first offer Blantyre came with was a, at a 30% dilution, 30% which they gave to the shareholders and said, we will assist you, but we'll dilute the shares by 30%. And the shareholders said, basically, want some time to think about this. And before they came back with an answer, Blantyre said, but that deal is off the table. Now we're talking about an 80% dilution. Take it or leave it, or we're going to bankrupt you. Harry, this That's is a really shocking state of affairs because a lot of these shareholders are small retail investors, aren't they? I mean, I see, for example, the PIC uh, and other big investors have sold their shares in this company. They did that earlier this year. So it's the, it's the small investor that's really in trouble here. Yes, but they think it's a small investor, and because it's retail investor, our shareholding is actually a lot larger than what they think. And the fact of the matter is the shareholders that we're sitting in terms of retail plus a couple of institutional investments that have got investments of 5% and above is already backing this lobby group. So they look at us, and I think that has been the problem so far, is they look at us as minnows, and we in fact are not minnows, and we actually do have a say in this matter. So they're playing games because people, the, the, the companies that are owed money always have the first call uh, on company assets before shareholders. Is that right? That is right. But what they don't realize is behind the scenes, there were other equity firms that were interested in assisting ascenders. But because they are holding the so-called sword over the heads of everybody else, um, every decision that needs to be taken by the board, um, and they've got a couple of guys like Dick and the Mine Workers Union and the Government Pension Fund in their back pocket. So whenever a decision needs to be taken, then they tell them you vote against this decision. So just for people who aren't familiar with Ascendus, this is the company that produces the veterinary brand of ivermectin that has been on the black market and Ascendus has been warning us not to take this product because it hasn't been proven for human use. Uh, and also, Harry, I see that Ascendus has actually been growing its revenues by about 30% in euros. So this is a company that is growing, but it had a bit of a, a cash flow challenge and the, the creditors took advantage of this. What is your next step now? Well, basically, we want to engage with the board, with Blantyre or L1 Health themselves, and we want to set up an agenda of what our view is and what we would like to hear from them because everything is being kept hush-hush at the moment and details, I mean, Ascendus has been very bad in sending out their census and when they send it a sense, then it is also very vague and they don't give the detail to it. And that is what's shocking the stock price at the moment and the people don't know where they stand. So what we need, we want a process um, that defines exactly the rules of engagement that they want to go about, the valuation mythology that they are going to take because the information that we had to dig up, not forthcoming from anybody else, is that Rothschild and everybody is doing evaluation on the one side and PSG would be scrutinizing it from the South African side. But, I mean, surely the shareholders should be know what is going on there as well because if we look at the financials, um, we cannot understand the local, the, the current share price. If, if we just look at the figures of what Ascendus is doing at the moment, I mean, for the last six months, we're talking about a turnover of 800 million rand. So if we double that or annualize that, then surely their turnover should be in for the year between 1.5 and 1.6 billion. Then if we take this very conservatively, let's say at 14.5 average, that gives you 22 billion. So, and then let's say it's a company in distress. So let's halve that and say we're sitting on 10 billion. Um, how can you try and acquire a company at a current share price of 50 cents when the true value should be sitting around about 10 billion? How can you indeed? That was Harry Smith of Ascendus Health Activist Lobby Group. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour with Jackie Cameron. From one scandal to the next. 
enough is enough, say communities in Newcastle who are protesting the Equesi coal mine. Communities in the area are accusing the company of abusing and bullying communities. Joining us now is Nkanyiso Ntombeni, a community leader, to explain what's happening on the ground there. Nkanyiso, are you with us? Yes, I'm with you. Hello, welcome. Please explain what's going on there around that mine, please. So we hear that the community is very unhappy, is being affected by coal dust. Blasting at the mine is damaging houses. Uh, Community livestock is dying in numbers. And basically, impoverished people are really being treated very badly here uh, at the expense of shareholders in an Australian listed company. Yes, unfortunately, uh, that's the nature of the situation in these uh, ultra-marginalized communities that have been taken advantage of because of being uh, geographically based in rural areas. And uh, we see what has been happening around Africa for the past 500 solid years where the minerals are being uh, extracted. Can we just get to the specific case? Uh, We believe that a lot of people are getting sick and there's contaminated water. Can, Can you tell us what's happening there? Yeah, well, what is happening here is the fact that the mine does not want to take responsibility for the damage that they have caused. Uh, there are houses of the people that have been uh, uh, destroyed due to blasting and uh, also the livestock that has perished because the, 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 the grass that is in the grassland is, is being contaminated uh, by, uh, by the mine. And also the dust that people are also exposed to, which is a, a, a continuous breach of Section 24 of the Constitution, which says everybody has the right to live in an environment that is not harmful to their uh, health and well-being. So what we're seeing here is a continuous breach of that uh, Section 24 of the Constitution, and people have been holding a countless number of uh, uh, initiatives trying to engage with the mine, but the mine has been uh, every time trying to to actually bully the people and make sure that they buy certain people, particular DMRE, to be on their side and become the spoke uh, person of the mine. So people have been left with no option but to actually uh, uh, block uh, the road uh, at the entrance of the mine to make sure that their voice is also heard as well. How many people are affected by this? How many people are, are sick? Do you know? Uh, actually, we have 16 affected communities here. The community of Kalfaster Farm, Clibrand Farm, Cronin, um, um, Babane, uh, Jan Farm, and Dendega. So uh, approximately, I can say close to about 200,000 people that are, are affected here, and their lives are never the same since from 2017 when Mine came here and started to mine. And uh, we have seen a number of people whereby they said their houses that they built, they're in a state of collapse, and there were also forceful relocations whereby people were not even compensated, and the graves of their forefathers were exhumed without consulting the, the proper uh, 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 ritual and uh, uh, ways that African people do things. So, yeah, life has never been the same since from 2017, and the 200,000 people, I mean, like, their lives changed uh, since the advent of the Equity Mind. I see here that some of the uh, people in your group say that the water is contaminated as well. Uh, have you had any scientists in there to test? What steps have you taken beyond trying to speak to the mine to resolve this? Yeah, we, we're, that was one of our biggest uh, concerns because we, we, we asked that, I mean, what are their ways in terms of their water license? And uh, we have been waiting for that kind of a report from them and we've never received anything. And the man has been actually uh, telling us that there's no scientific proof that the water is contaminated and every boat and, and any person within the community or the livestock has consumed that water and it has resulted into sickness. So they are actually kinding, they're actually kind of playing those tricks to say there is no laboratory that has tested this water uh, to actually uh, attest to that. So uh, this, the, the situation is that uh, is looking like that at the moment because we do not have a lab where we can send water and come back and say, but we know that people are now uh, sick and then their respiratory disease uh, that is attached to the water that people are drinking and to the air that, that, that they are breathing and also their livestock as well. I mean, people have seen their goats, their cows and all of that dying because of the mine uh, contaminated water and grass. So they're losing out on their livelihood as well? Yes, their livelihoods are, are, are permanently destroyed and then there is no way that they can reverse it where maybe they can go back to their normal lives. It's just a, a desperate situation. And can you, so have you approached uh, government authorities at all over this issue? 
I think when we go for a protest, that is the last resort, which maybe I can uh, presume it uh, as a desperate resort because our first attempt it was to engage the municipality, which is Danhausa municipality and Amajuba district and also the DMRE. I have and we have sent a number of uh, emails inviting them to have a dialogue and to sit and have a meeting. But unfortunately, DMRE, which is the regulator of mining in this country, it seems to be uh, really uh, not taking anything uh, um, into consideration when it comes to the well-being of the people, but they are always uh, taking side with the mine and also with our municipalities. We have also said that we need the we need compliance within this uh, mine and we want the, the the air quality officers to also uh, make the mine account and in terms of of compliance. But all that is just uh, falling into deaf ears. Nothing has ever come forward to show that, that they are actually. Uh, and making sure that there is compliance, and then they are regulating properly uh, the miners according to the mine charter and to their mining license. So people are at the end of the day being taken for a ride, and there is nothing that is coming their way. Everything that has been said and done it is to protect protect the interest of the mine and their investors. At the that was in Kanyiso and Tom Beni. He is a community manager, like a community leader in Danhauser. Now we're going to be joined by Bonani Ndlova, who is a director of Equesi Mine, which is the mine that is being blamed for this terrible hardship that Nkaniso has just described. Uh, Bonani Ndlova, director of the Australia listed South African small cap Equesi, joins us now. Yes, I'm on the line. Good evening to you and good evening to all your listeners. Bonani, tell us what's been happening at that mine. There have been protests there. What is the mine doing about those protests? Thank you. Um, indeed, uh, I think it's about three days back. Uh, we have had uh, on social media a notification from um, a specific um, non-governmental organization, or I would call a non-profit organization, uh, started by the name Newcastle Environmental um, the Justice Alliance, which is headed by Mr. Nkanisom Tombeni. Uh, that being the case, actually, let me take a step back um, to, to about a month ago. The company, in furthering its transparency objectives, uh, began a, a trial run of inviting all NPOs, NGOs, and key stakeholders where each one of them was taken confidence into the projects and programs that the company is running. Uh, Mr. Tomini's organization also being one of those. So unfortunately... So sorry, can we just get clarity here? Is there pollution in the area? Is there blasting? And is this affecting houses? It's a mining area. Blasting is there, but it is not affecting houses. We have, as you would know, mining um, uh, is one of the heavily regulated industries in the country. Yes, all that yes, is but we've blast, got pictures uh, of damaged houses. So how is it possible that the blasting at the mine isn't damaging houses? Are you saying that the pictures that we've got uh, can't be right? Yes, the pictures that you got cannot be right. We can confirm that. Um, as I was mentioning, Mr. Tomlin was invited last week, sorry, to cut to the chairs. He came together with his delegation at our boardrooms. We discussed, we asked them to provide any proof of the allegations that they are putting out there. Nothing of that sort was provided, apart from a proof of banking details, which he shared with us. And if he is on the line, may he tell you how much he has asked from the mine and from me specifically to make sure that he doesn't protest together with his group. So, um, yeah, that's quite a controversial statement. But let's just get – these are poor communities, and they're not really in a position to test water themselves, and they say they're getting sick. Would it not be a good idea to proactively go and test the water and see whether your activities are, in fact, causing environmental problems and health problems? We are operating in an environment that is heavily regulated. We have the regulator, the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy. Samples are taken every month. They are sent to the laboratories and they are verified. You are welcome together with your team to come to our offices and see for yourselves the results of all the water samples that we do take and send to the labs, uh, verified by, in, by independent um, specialists. When it comes to air uh, pollution, we have different um, uh, air buckets stationed in different areas where it is also a scientific uh, measure that is then um, looked at to ensure that whatever pollution that may be uh, caused by our mining operations is looked into. Should it go beyond the minimal standards, then it is actively uh, engaged by our specialists and by our mining personnel. 
Tell us a bit more about your company. Uh, it's incorporated in Bermuda. It's listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. But the business itself is focused on exploration and development of coal projects in South Africa, and specifically KwaZulu-Natal. Why the Australian Stock Exchange and not the JSE? Are you trying to sort of keep your business out of the limelight? Initially, when the company was incorporated together, it is, uh, I mean, at the formation stage, that was about 2008-2009. Yes, we perceived that the Australian Stock Exchange would be one of the platforms within which we would provide our, um, you know, that will get um, funding and the likes. And yes, uh, that is the Quasi Mining Limited. But uh, here in SA, we have Equesi Mining Private Limited which is a subsidiary of Equals Mining Limited, which is yet um, uh, incorporated uh, in Bermuda and listed in the Australian Stock Exchange. Mm, so this is a group of uh, small private investors who basically own this very small listed company. So who are the people behind this mine then? It is a public listed company. You are free to check it uh, from, the, uh, from our website and you can see all that for yourselves. Yes, and I, I did see that there were a number of companies uh, and a, a comment from analysts that this is mostly held by insiders. So I'm assuming these are the managers of the company. I am uh, the director of the company, but to date I can confirm the last shareholders that we had had more than 300 uh, shareholders in the company. Okay. Stripping out some of the details, you're a company, these are uh, poor people, previously disadvantaged, currently disadvantaged, and on your website you say that key to the way you operate is a far-sighted outlook, ensuring that you consider the future impact of everything you do. It's a philosophy that drives your determination to reduce your environmental footprint, prioritize safety, and benefit communities in the areas in which we operate. Now, listening to Mr. Kanyiso and Tom Bernie, and uh, it, it, I'm sure you'll agree that the reality on the ground is that nothing could be further from the truth. It doesn't sound like you're doing anything to help the community around this coal mine. That is incorrect, and we stand to refute all claims made by Mr. Mtombeni. The sad reality is Mr. Mtombeni and his cabal are in a smear campaign against the Quasi and the surrounding companies, wherein they okay, seek to power the company. What are you doing for communities in the area? As a mining company, we, as part of our mining rights, we have what is called a social and labor plan. We have yes, in the current what year. What have you done in that in plan to help the communities? We have in the current year a budget of four million that is currently being implemented. You can come and verify for yourselves. Two million. So you've got a budget, but you haven't actually done anything yet. We have started implementation. Remember, what the mine have you is done also in your implementation. Can you be specific? We have, and we are still in the process of uh, renovating 16 ECTs, that is early childhood development centers, to a tune of two million runs. We have also been adopted a high school, which is in the nearby, um, uh, uh, nearby area where we operate, called Zero Two High School. Two million runs have been budgeted and poured into that project. It's currently so ongoing. budgeted and poured in, but the people who are affected by your mining operations aren't getting any benefits. You're not actually doing anything to help them with uh, fixing their houses or finding places for their cattle to graze where they aren't going to die. Uh, nothing like that. Really- the set reality is that the version that we are going with is a false version, which is currently uh, under investigation by the crime intelligence officers, obviously. But hear from us what we are saying and take it for us, take us for our word, because we are the ones who are operating there. We have to date uh, built houses for nearly 10 people that were affected by mining operations. Well houses, just as good as yesterday, uh, as early as yesterday, DMR inspection inspectors were at our mine. No section was issued against any sort of non-compliance. Remember, this is the Department of Mineral Resources that is there to ensure we do everything according to book and according to the laws of the land. You've been listening to Bonani Ndlovu, Director of Mining at Equesi, which is a company that has been accused of bullying the community members. So that's his side of the story, and we look forward to picking up on that again in a future episode of the Biz News Power Hour. Coming up, my colleague Justin Rowe Roberts covers the JSE throughout the day for Biz News. Justin, please catch up for us on the JSE highlights. The JSE All Share Index increased slightly to 68,800. MTN was the biggest climber on the day, increasing 12% to 83 Rand a share. MTN was also the most traded share on the JSE. NASPERS and Process was up strongly on the back of their proxy, Tencent being up in Hong Kong this morning. NASPERS and Process will put you back. 3,630 Rand and 1,820 Rand a share, respectively. 
Anglo Platinum was the biggest large cap loser on the day, down 90 rand to 2,070 rand a share. SAPI continues to surge, with the share now trading over 50 rand for the first time since July 2019. The rand continues to increase strongly against all the major currencies, 14 rand 95 cents against the greenback, 20 rand and 87 cents against the pound, and 17 rand and 85 cents against the euro. Gold is in the green at $1,724 an ounce. Bitcoin is flat at $850,000 a Bitcoin. And lastly, Brent crude is slightly down to $67 a barrel. That's all we've got time for here on the Biz News Power Hour. From me, Jackie Cameron, and the rest of the Biz News team, thank you for joining us. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow on Fine Music Radio and streamed live to the global Biz News community. You can also catch up on all of the interviews on the Biz News Power Hour Spotify channel. Until next time.